I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to Date Yourself Radio. I'm your host, Veronica Grant, and I'm a green smoothie enthusiast, a radical self-care advocate, and a dating mindset coach for ambitious women looking for a deep and meaningful romantic partnership. Each week, you'll hear me answer a frequently asked question from this community, interview experts in the field, or work directly with the caller as I coach them through a dating or relationship obstacle they're facing. I give practical advice and tangible action that you can apply to your own life so you can learn how to treat yourself the way you want to be treated and get into the relationship you desire and deserve. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Date Yourself Radio. I don't know about y'all, but the women's stories I've had on this podcast have been so incredible and inspiring to me. And just to validate what I teach and the core message of this podcast, which is dating yourself and treating yourself the way you want to be treated is essentially making yourself a great catch to the right person for you. And many of the women's stories on this podcast and their journey have included dating themselves in some way or another. And that includes today's guest, Kayla Prince, which I'm so excited to share that interview with you in just a minute. But before I get there and I share with you her story of disordered eating and abusive relationships and burlesque dancing, yes, you heard that right, I wanted to let you know that my popular Date Yourself Challenge is coming up. The Date Yourself Challenge delivers 10 daily dates for you to have with yourself so that you can make yourself a great catch and attract your perfect-for-you relationship into your life. Each challenge will be super simple and only take a few minutes for you to complete. And if you do them, you won't be able to avoid having more fun and more intention while dating. And my favorite part is that we have a private Facebook group of all the women who are participating to share and to support each other as we go through the amazing process of dating ourselves. And my favorite part is that this group actually stays alive and well throughout the year, even when a challenge is not running. So imagine having hundreds of women at your fingertips to get support from while dating 
And just be a part of a community of women who get you, who understand what you're going through. And the best part about the challenge and the Facebook group is that it's free. And the next challenge will start May 13th. So I'd love for you to join us. To do that, head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash date yourself challenge to get all the details and sign up. Okay, back to today's guest. Kayla Prinz is a body positive wellness coach, a burlesque and pole dancer, and a voiceover actor. After recovering from orthorexia, anorexia, and exercise addiction, she has set out to understand and overturn the reasons why we're all so darn uncomfortable in our own bodies. Using her podcast, Finding Our Hunger, as the medium and burlesque and pole dance and drag as a message, Kayla Prince speaks radical truths about body positivity, health at every size, feminism, sexuality, and recovery, usually while covered in glitter. All right, so you can tell this interview is going to be a juicy one. And during the interview, we talk a lot about some different resources and links for you to grab. So to grab those, head over to the show notes at veronicagrant.com forward slash episode 17. And that's where you can find the links that we mentioned, as well as another link to the Date Yourself Challenge. And all right, let's get right to it. Hello, Kayla, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. So I'm so excited to um, to share your story and your expertise and just everything that you've gone through um, with my audience, because I just think it's going to be something that can really resonate with. So let's just start. Um, how about you just start with your story and how you got to be where you are today? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, it's a very long one. Um, I, I'll give you I'll give you the, the short uh, Cliff Notes version okay. since my Sounds story good. is, you know, plastered all over the Internet in places where, uh, you know, I will never get a job again kind of situations. <laughs> but um, so, yes. So uh, I was uh, just a regular kid who. You know, I was one. Of, I was weird, introverted, but I, mm-hmm. you know, I was a happy kid um, mm-hmm. for the most part. <laughs> you know, I had no problem with food, with my body, nothing. Um, I had some weird quirks, like I really enjoyed eating uh, entire tubes of cookie dough. Uh, <laughs> but what kid doesn't when given that opportunity? Right. Um, right. You know, like the the Toll House cookie doughs or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I, you know didn't really I didn't really understand when all the girls were getting into like JTT and stuff like that because I was still playing with my Barbies um you know I was just strange little kid and uh then I hit puberty and my life completely changed Mm -hmm. you know I I pretty much played Barbie dolls till I was like 12 years old um I had a bunch of younger siblings and so I was very focused on remaining young as, as much as possible. And while all the other girls were attempting to grow up and, you know, I remember in fifth grade, a couple of Girl Scouts were on the, uh, I, this is why I didn't stay in the Girl Scouts. Uh, a couple of the Girl Scouts were outside in the sandbox. Um, and this is fifth grade, mind you. And they were having sand penis building and humping contests. Oh my and goodness. Yeah. And I was so horrified, uh, so horrified that I just completely shut down. I was like, all right, we're done here. Um, that was what age 11. Um, so yeah, so I, I hit puberty and my life kind of imploded on itself. Mm -hmm. Um, I turned 13 years old, uh, 
And then that summer I was in a play. I played Rizzo in Greece. Um, I had just bought my first thong under duress, mind you, um, because all my girlfriends, we, we used to have this weird, um, <laughs> we had this weird tradition of everyone bought the same kind of weird underwear at the mall thing uh, over the summer. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, it's just, I could, my, I my could group probably of friends relate to weird. that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the year before we bought like male <clears throat> underwear, like we bought, uh, you know, boxers and stuff together at the mall. And so then this okay. year we bought thongs, right? <laughs> okay. And I didn't want to do it. But there was a thong on sale at Wet Seal for, I think, $2. (laughs) And so they're like, you have to buy it. We all bought thongs. So I bought it. I hid it at the bottom of my my drawer. I was so ashamed. I, like, confessed to my mother who was like, yes, end. (laughs) You know. Um, But I was scared of sex. I was scared of my body being used for sex. I did not want anything to do with it. I didn't want to have anything to do with dating. And yet I still had all these like conflicting feelings that were coming up because, Hey, I was uh, 13 at that time. Um, And that's when hormones start to rage. So um, that same, so the the day after I bought my thong, um, I, I had like this uh, July 4th party um, and the boy that I uh, had liked Mm -hmm. at summer camp, gave me a peck on the lips, which was my first quote unquote first kiss. Um, and so he was coming to this party. Um, I had been spending the summer, uh, restricting food, not out of uh, desire to get thin, but because I thought I was allergic to soy. Um, I was having strange allergic reactions. And so, uh, I started cutting out all processed food because soy is in all processed food. Um, and so I dropped a ton of weight. Um, now here I am. I have my very first big girl bikini. I have a thong in my drawer. There's a boy who's coming over who likes me. And I looked in the mirror and I thought, oh my gosh, whatever I'm doing, I should do more of that. Uh, mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that was the beginning of my eating disorder. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It. Where I became, I began uh, consciously restricting food. Um, I began over-exercising. I'm also an exercise addict now. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that quote-unquote relationship with the boy never really panned out um, because I was scared to death of it. And so, yeah, so I basically became committed into a committed relationship with my eating disorder for uh, the majority of my adult life. Uh, I went to school and, you know, then I started eating again. I became a binge eater, so I would compensate by running. Um, Became the captain of the cross-country team, uh, running even only a few months after uh, knee surgery. Which was not a good plan. Uh, Yeah. Still, still dealing with the fallout from that. Um, You know, and then I, I went to college and just became a binge eater, (laughs) you know, and then I started fasting and detox cleansing, um, eventually leading to a relapse in anorexia um, and overexercise. And then of course going, you know, the other way again, binge eating and then relapsing one last time when I was in grad school, eventually having to leave graduate school, getting diagnosed with anorexia, which began sort of the journey that I'm on right now where I realized I can't keep living like this. Yeah. So that's kind of the short version. Yeah. (laughs) It's a little meandering, but uh, there's a lot of things that go into creating eating disorders uh, or fostering eating disorders or maintaining mm-hmm. eating disorders or causing relapses. So, you know, the, the story is never a linear one. Right. Right. So you were then um, you, you were 
you got an eating disorder for what, 10, 11 years then, if I'm doing the math? Yeah, I would say okay. that I was actively involved in my eating disorder for about nine years and then passively involved in it for another four. Okay. So during this whole time, I mean, this is like when you start, you kind of talked about discovering boys and dating, especially in college and your early to mid 20s. So can you just talk what what dating was like for you um, during this time? <laughs> uh, not good. <laughs> <laughs> right. I assume that, but I'm just kind of like yeah. unpacking that a little bit. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I basically, I created this sense of trauma around dating Mm -hmm. for myself um, because I was so, I was so scared of it. Like, like I said, like my, when my girlfriends were busy swooning over JTT, I, you know, and for the uninitiated, and I I hate that there are listeners out there who don't know who Jonathan Taylor Thomas is. (laughs) Um, But, you know, like I, when my friends were reading Tiger Beat, which was a magazine, a paper magazine that we had to buy at the grocery store, um, (laughs) you know, when they were doing that, I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. I had only one Ken doll because I was more focused on just playing with Barbies, you know? Okay. Like I didn't want to deal with the relationship bit of things. And Ken only came in when he played Prince Charming and had a ball, you know, and had nothing mm-hmm. to do with like falling in love. It was more with like, but Barbie gets to dress up now, um, you know. And so when I started getting into the world of uh, dating, I actually um, tried to stall as long as possible. So even I, I developed the sense of like wounded good girl where like no one will ever like me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm smart. So I'm threatening and no boy would ever want to be with me. Um, you know, I'm not as pretty as the popular girls. I'm not as popular as the pretty girls. I'm, you know, I, I, Mm -hmm. and so I kind of spent most of high school just focused on my studies. Uh, I won homecoming queen, not because I was the most popular, pretty or whatever girl in school, but because I was in every single club. So everyone (laughs) knew who I was. Yeah. Like no joke. I won because I, like the I won the popular vote but not because I was popular if that makes any sense yeah yeah um so my first kiss happened when I was uh it was the end of 11th grade it was after prom um I had gone to prom with a German exchange student who was living on campus um who was a friend of mine Uh and I knew he liked me and that excited me like there was like this weird sense of like oh my God, somebody actually like actively likes me. Um, And so, you know, he took me on a date and I actually ended up having a panic attack where I, because I knew he was going to kiss me. Um, So I literally had a panic attack in the middle of the date. Um, That he sat by me and and hung in there, which was really like, good on you, uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) German exchange student. Good job. Um, And he kissed me goodnight and I cried all the way home. Because wow. <laughs> I, it was just like this feeling of like loss of innocence and um, this sense that like it wasn't what I wanted. Huh. It wasn't what I wanted. And, um, you know, the next year I started dating this kid who was a year behind me uh, at the very end of the year. It was like it was it was a mess. Uh, he was, you know, a druggy like burnout. And I was, you know, homecoming queen and the salutatorian by two tenths of a point, you know, mm-hmm. like it was one of those like weird situations where like he was the bad boy. And like, you know, I was friends with his girlfriend that he was breaking up with. And there was drama around that. And then, you know, we started dating and I was like, I was just like so on cloud nine because somebody liked me. 
somebody had chosen me, but then he quote unquote cheated on me by getting a hand job from his ex-girlfriend on an airplane on a school trip or something like that. It was just, it was a whole thing. <laughs> um, and I just remember, you know, like my favorite, favorite um, high school teacher. I just remember her. I used to go in in the mornings to talk to her every single day for like four years. And um, one morning after I like had, you know, kissed this person goodbye and like skipped into her room, she said, mm-hmm. You know, you're acting like a real asshole, Kyla. And I just, that is stuck with me for so long because like this, this person that I became when I was dating was no longer focused on my studies, no longer focused on being the best, Mm -hmm. on getting into Columbia University, on, you know, proving that I was the captain and the president and the best, you know, I was like, I would rather be like making out with this person who likes me. Um, and I just remember that just completely devastating me. Yeah. Almost more than being quote unquote cheated on. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, so there's something interesting here going on. So on the one hand, you were at first scared of, um, boys and relationships and boyfriends, but then like, was that just because you didn't believe that you could be liked? And then once you were liked, it was just like, whoa, this is amazing. And you got wrapped up. Like what was going on with that? Um, I think the issue is, you know, I, I've always had a weird relationship with my body in the Mm -hmm. sense of like, I didn't know that it belonged to me. Mm, Okay. Um, I didn't know that it belonged to me that I, you know, so I never, and nobody ever talked to me about like how to understand my own desire, Mm -hmm. um, and how to properly communicate it or use it or um or make sure that it was fulfilled and so sex was always this weird off-limits scary thing that just and by sex I meant like dating like boys any like anything to do with my body it was just one of those things like we don't talk about like we can all watch sex in the city together as a family but we don't then discuss your sex life Mm, um okay and because I I never really understood it. It was like the one when it was finally being fulfilled in a way that I wanted it to be fulfilled. Um, it was almost like this weird rush of like, I could do anything. Um, and it felt very out of control. And in a way I was kind of acting like an asshole because I was all of a sudden like this, there was like a rush of power. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. um, like I, I can actually say like, I want this thing, you know? And, and, you know, nothing about like we got, we made it like he touched my boob. Like that mm-hmm. was as far as we made it um, <laughs> because I was still very like ultra scared of anything below the belt. Um, yeah. But it was just, it was such a paradigm shift for me. Mm-hmm. But because it was, oh, you're acting like an asshole for having your desire met and this power trip because of it, um, it became even more taboo in my mind. And so when I went to college, I ended up um, in some situations that I'm not particularly proud of. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember um, I met a guy who was in my science class who invited me over to study, which no one, no, no man ever invites a woman over to study at night I'm in their dorm. No, that's not how this happens. Um, he, in, he invited me over to study and it involved him taking my clothes off and trying to go down on me. And I had, I just, like, like I said, my high school two month boyfriend touched my boob and suddenly I'm naked in a room with a man who was, uh, 
actually a man. He was uh, a returning student. So he was um, like a general studies was, was what they were called. But basically mm-hmm. he was older. Mm-hmm. Um, and here I am, I'm 19 years old and he's trying to get between my legs. And I flipped out. Like I had a complete panic attack. Um, and I ran home. My shirt was on backward. Like I just showered and showered and showered and showered because I wanted nothing to do with that person because it was not my decision because I was not ready because no one had explained to me that that's something that a person might do. Um, like I was just, it, it was traumatizing. Yeah. And so, but the thing is, instead of seeking relationships where I could say, this is what I want. I instead put myself in situations where uh, I would do whatever it was that that person wanted um, because I didn't, I didn't know. I thought that that was how all situations go. Men say, I want to do this thing. And then they do that thing. Um, So how did, how did, um, mm -hmm. how did your anorexia and bulimia kind of tie into all of that? Well, (laughs) so, you know, I think a lot of what happened with anorexia is that I, would try to erase my sexual body. Oh, okay. That was, that was a large part of it. I mean, it, it was never a conscious decision, mm-hmm. but what happens when you are an anorexic is, you know, you start to lose the features that make you look like a woman. Um, you know, your breasts disappear, your hips disappear. Um, and in many cases, uh, anorexics some, will, will get uh, amenorrhea, which is the cessation of their period uh, unnaturally before menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, uh, that was a way to erase that. It was a way to self-soothe. It was a way to um, remove myself from the world. And on the the flip side, the binge eating um, was a way to make myself less attractive, right? In my mind to another person. Now, again, this is not a conscious decision. It wasn't like I was sitting here like calculating, if I gain 50 pounds, I'll be less attractive. That wasn't Mm -hmm. how that worked. It was kind of like, there was a lot of other things going on because eating disorders are never just like one thing. Uh, There's a lot of other stuff going on, but I think in a way that was part of it. this unconscious desire to make myself less attractive to men. And then uh, on the flip side, it was like to make myself more attractive to, but off limits to men, (laughs) if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so, you know, so I kind of went through this cycle of like dating and then horrible things happening and relapsing. And, um, and so by the time I reached uh, 2010, I want to say, uh, the 2009. Uh, so I was a high school teacher and I was completely like, I was married to my work. I was, you know, I was obsessed with just making sure that my kids had what they needed. And I was, uh, working 90 hours a week as the director of a drama department at a high school in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and I decided I was going to go back to school because I was burning out. So I, I was going to go get my master's degree. Um, but that summer I decided to do a play and uh with the Palm Beach Shakespeare Festival and so I I met a guy at an audition and he was just like everything I wanted in a guy you know um and it turns out that we ended up playing the lovers in Midsummer Night's Dream opposite one another so that was nice and ironic and we struck up a conversation and the conversation turned to dating and dating turned into I was living with him within a month oh (laughs) yeah Again, not very good decisions, but here I was living at my dad's house, 
traveling over an hour to go to rehearsals versus I could live with this guy and travel for 15 minutes. So um, I I don't say that I've always made good decisions. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I was living with this guy um, who I think deep down, like he, he was a good person. But I think that there were also a lot of issues that he developed while he was in the army. And, and I, you know, I don't know. I wasn't ready to be with him. I don't think he was ready to be with me. Um, and there was a lot of emotional abuse that happened while living with this guy. And again, I don't think it was intentional, but it did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a couple of instances where uh, sex was forced upon me when I was not uh, receptive to it, otherwise known now I know as date rape. Um, but one of the things that happened as a result of this relationship is, you know, I developed this complex that I wasn't good enough to be his wife, which was a conversation that we had, Mm -hmm. um, after only a couple of months of being with him, like I didn't feel like I measured up. I was a, you know, a cardio bunny. I was still quote unquote too overweight. Um, I was not overweight. Um, but Mm -hmm. you know, I was too overweight to be with him because he was a bodybuilder and interested in bodybuilders and really excited about girls who lift. And, you know, he had introduced me to his favorite bodybuilders via magazines, like female bodybuilders. And so I decided when we both went off to our separate graduate programs, um, we were going to do a long distance relationship. I decided that I was going to mold my body into the body of his favorite fitness model. Um, And so I followed her workouts and I followed her diet and I looked her up and I read every magazine article that she was in. And then I started learning about the world of figure competitors. And that was maybe the worst thing that could have happened to me. Wow. Because what happened is I decided I wanted to become a fitness model. And so I started working out obsessively. And by the time the appointed uh, meeting <laughs> was about to come up, I actually broke up with him because mm-hmm. I was my body was not good enough for him yet. I hadn't sculpted it. I hadn't molded it. Now, this didn't start off as like an anorexic thing where I was planning on, you know, restricting food. And I, I was eating six meals a day. Um, but right. I was convinced that this is the way to be healthy. And this is the way that I'm going to prove that my body is good enough finally. So um I actually ended up dropping out of graduate school, uh, developing suicidal depression. Um, And, uh, you know, I got certified as a personal trainer because that was a more important career goal than actually following up with my uh, career goals. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. I I was like convinced that the only thing that mattered was being a fitness model. And the more that I exercised and eventually restricted uh, because I wasn't thin enough or lean enough or strong enough yet, um, you know, the, I was convinced that being this flat model on the page, being this person who didn't exist in real life, you know, right. but was there to, uh, inspire other women and, um, titillate men, I guess, um, was way more important than having any actual desires in life. Wow. So that's just, that's so fascinating. Um, so what, um, you said grad school was when things started to turn around for you. So what spe- was there a specific event or, I don't know, like an epiphany you had that started your, and I know you talk about recovery versus discovery. So can you talk about that and how you got into that transition? Yeah. So it was a while. 
between that moment and when I actually fixed things. So I dropped out of graduate school in 2010 um, and I spiraled, spiraled into to my eventual actual rock bottom where um, I developed amenorrhea. And uh, my body, I, I cut off all my hair. Like I had no breasts. I was a double A. Um, I looked like a little boy. I was actually buying clothes from the little boys section at oh Target specifically because it made me feel good about myself. Um, I wanted nothing to do with being female. I did not want to date. I didn't want to leave my house. I just wanted to have rock hard, rock hard abs. And that was all that mattered. Hmm. Uh, and so the epiphany moment was when I was seeing a therapist because I was also, as I mentioned, suicidally depressed. Um, I was seeing a dialectical behavioral therapist who was not making any headway with me. And she's like, look, I need you to go to the doctor and um, have her check you out. And the doctor came back to me and she said, look, you have osteopenia, which is um, pre-osteoporosis. You have bradycardia, which means your heart rate is really, really slow. And that's not a good thing. Um, Mm. And you have amenorrhea, which means that you're not getting your period and you're 24 years old. Um, If you don't change something right now, you're going to (laughs) die. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you are. I'm you know, she diagnosed me with anorexia um, and she's like, look, you know, you aren't getting your period anymore. That is not a good thing for somebody your age. I just thought it was, you know, well, I I, I honestly didn't know what I thought, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I I was like you know, no big deal. I one less thing for me to worry about every month. Um, but when I realized I wasn't that amenorrhea was like, not a good thing. Um, something clicked in me. And like, I don't want kids. Uh, I've made that pretty clear for most of my life. Um, mm-hmm. it's just not something that excites me right now. Um, or then, but hearing that I wasn't functioning properly, um, you know, I identify as being a woman. And even though I've tried to you know, erase it multiple times. There was something in me that clicked that just went, oh my God, I have lost the thing that I have identified with or wanted to identify with. And if I wanted to have children, I can't. Mm -hmm. And I remember leaving the doctor's office in tears and I drove myself to a Whole Foods, which was right down the street uh, because I still had to quote unquote eat healthy. Right. Um, and I got a sandwich that had avocado and cheese and Turkey on it. And I ate half of it, like, like just sobbing through the sandwich. I hadn't had bread in, I can't even tell you how many months. Um, and I just sobbed through it. I could only eat half before I got sick. Um, because I hadn't eaten that much food at a meal, like a single meal in a very long time. Um, And I just remember like sobbing because I was scared. I was, and it didn't fix things. You know, I still wanted to be a bodybuilder. Um, But at that point, you know, I started gaining weight. I got a job uh, with a company that I actually really loved, um, you know, and that actually turned things around for me quite a bit because it gave Mm -hmm. me something to look forward to every day. Um, You know, I, I gained a bit of weight because my hormones stopped working completely. And so even though I was restricting food, I started uh, like my body was basically trying to hold on to every last bit possible. So I was like, all right, body, I'm going to fix you. So I became a vegan and a yogi and I was doing two a day Bikram yoga and, you know, juicing everything. It was Uh awful. (laughs) Um, And then lost my period again. 
<laughs> so that that was uh, another wake up moment. And then I was paleo and that was my most recent incarnation. And most people who've listened to my podcast or read my blog for a long amount of time know me as a paleo influencer and blogger. And I've spoken mm-hmm. at conferences about how paleo fixed me. And in reality, <clears throat> it didn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it took it took. Mm, it took a long time. It took probably about four years from when I was diagnosed with anorexia to like, you know, when I finally was like, I can eat bread and just need, I just need to shut up and like, <laughs> you know, stop <laughs> focusing so much on health and on my body and actually get healthy and focus on my body. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so in 2014, I started dating and that for me was a really scary thing. Yeah. It was really, really scary. Um, I was not ready in the sense of like, I I didn't know what to expect. Um, I hadn't done it successfully. I had only put myself in situations that were not good for me, um, where I would either date somebody who liked me and therefore I would date them because I was desired or somebody who wanted to use me and I would date them because I felt like I deserved it. Um, You know, and so... Finally, I decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this the smart way. So I started by going speed dating. Um, and for me, it was also just a way to get over my social anxiety in general. Oh, cool. They're the second yeah. person on my show that's done speed dating. I've never, I never did speed dating. So I'm Oh, kidding. no way. It's, <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, I met some real creepers. I also met some very interesting people. Um, but, but what's cool about it is it's a safe environment in the sense that there's somebody who is literally observing this interaction. So you can be like, hey, I need help. If there's like a creeper, but obviously that's not going to happen, right? Like they're not right. going to actively try to assault you at the dinner table. Um, Hopefully not. <laughs> right? You, you would you would hope not. Um, so there's not that fear involved of like being alone and unsupervised with a person. Um, and you have five minutes. So you know that you can get out of the conversation. So even if it's an awful conversation, even if you don't like it and you don't like this person, in five minutes, it goes away and you never have to see them again. <laughs> You know, like you were not obligated to contact a single person afterward. And I ended up having a really good time. Um, I actually made some girlfriends as well. Like I met some girls who were there, you know, and we started talking beforehand and they were, they were pretty cool. So, you know, still friends on Facebook. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so, um, you know, so, so yeah, so it was, it was an interesting experience and it at least Mm -hmm. got my feet wet to the social part of you know, being in the world and interacting with people in a very safe and enclosed sort of way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went from there to Tinder, which was maybe not the most logical jump. (laughs) (laughs) But I, again, used it as an experiment. I was like, I'm like not here to hook up. I'm here to go on a date, you know, maybe get a cup of coffee somewhere public, somewhere where I can get out of it. Like went on a couple of interesting dates you know, nothing really came of it until I met this one guy who was the coolest, mm-hmm. um, feminist, um, poly, uh, and very interested in communicating and being very like open about like, what is it that you need? Here's what I need. How can we make these needs meet? And he kind of taught me how to communicate, which was yeah an incredible experience for me. It was yeah. really tough because I'm a monogamous person. Um, but it actually opened my eyes to the different complexities of like getting needs met. And because mm-hmm. I'd only ever been like cheated on or like hoarded, if you will, as yeah. a as a commodity um, in a relationship, 
um, be, you know, being with somebody who is poly and understanding that, you know, I fulfilled his needs in a different way from somebody else and that it's okay to ask for your needs to be met and it's okay to not fulfill every, like every single need and to not uh, have to be everything to a person mm-hmm. and to yeah. understand that, you know, you can communicate through this. Yeah. Um, like that was huge for me. Yeah. And so because of him, he was like, you know, I, I don't like that, you know, you're, you're not dating other people. And I'm like, yeah, that's just not how I operate, but he moved. And so, um, I went on OkCupid and I met my current boyfriend who is like one of the most incredible, like also a feminist, also really interested in communication. Um, like maybe one of the, like he, he's totally with me on the body image thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I got very lucky. Let me put it that way. <laughs> I got very lucky. You didn't that, get lucky. You just attract. That's what I tell my clients. You just attracted it into your life. That's all. Yeah. But you know what? I, I also say, like, had I not done a lot of the work that I was doing concurrently about mm-hmm. discovery, which I can go into next, um, I wouldn't have been ready yeah. when my boyfriend showed up on OKQ. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, so the discovery thing, um, mm-hmm. I believe there's two phases in eating disorder recovery and most people stop at one, which is okay. recovery itself. Right. Um, you know, they get caught in the loop of recovering. I'm a recovering eating disorder survivor, whatever I am in recovery. I am recovery. Okay. And so they get very obsessed with getting healthy with, you know, going from skinny to strong, not skinny. Mm-hmm. Um, they become personal trainers and they become nutritionists and they're obsessed with taking pictures of their smoothies and, um, (laughs) you know, and and like, this is important. It is important in the beginning stages of recovery to get in touch with your food, to understand that like, it's okay to eat and to to celebrate that you're eating and to build, you know, some community and support around that. So I totally get it. But what happens is people get stuck there because they've built community and support around recovery. And so they get stuck in recovery because that's what their community is doing Mm -hmm. and it becomes a feedback loop. Um, So now they're recovering and recovering and recovering and they become what I call recovered enough where it's like, I'm recovered enough, but I still have to also take pictures of my smoothie, but I also am still afraid of not eating healthy. So it becomes like this orthorexic and kind of exercise addicted phase where it's like, yeah, but I'm strong, not skinny. So I just have to be at the gym. Right. Yeah. Or sense. I don't, I will not eat any food with GMOs and I'm also a vegan and I'm also, and so like, there's all these other, like, you know, excuses built on top, but it's not my eating disorder. It's just that I'm being healthy. Right. Right. So we get stuck in recovered enough. And that's where I was for about four years after I had that epiphany moment of, oh my God, I'm killing myself. Right. Um, And I don't want to do that anymore. So, and that was my vegan mode and my bodybuilding mode and my paleo mode. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's recovered enough. Now, what I think is really important um, is what I call the second phase, the part that I coach on, which is discovery. Okay, like I can't help you if you're in recovery, you're required to work with a therapist and all that stuff, because legally, I I just can't. Right. Right. If you're if you're actively hurting yourself, please go see a therapist. But discovery is the part where like you're done being recovered enough, where there's more to life than strong, not skinny. And you don't under like you're not you don't know what to do next. Right. Mm -hmm. Because what happens when you lose your eating disorder, when you say no more, I'm not going to do this, is you develop this hole in your entire identity. Hmm. Right. Because you've spent hours devoted to, 
you know, thinspiration or fitspiration and healthy eating or not eating at all or eating too much or whatever. Like you've spent so much of your life and your energy and your identity and your community focused on food and your body and fitness that when you say, I'm not going to do that anymore, what do you fill it with? And then that void opens up and the void starts to feel like an, you know, an abyss. And so what do you do? You go back to what feels comfortable because that is what you know, and that makes you feel less empty. So what I say is you have to do the discovery work, which helps you say, like fill that hole with new things or things that you've given up, you know, while you mm-hmm. were disordered. And so for me, that meant, you know, speed dating was a big part of it, getting over my social anxiety, um, deleting all of my health apps and health podcasts and health uh, blogs and all that And just like listening to comedy podcasts and I got into voiceover acting. And um, so I started like going up to the city to take classes in that. Um, I started pole dancing as my fitness choice. I became a burlesque dancer. Um, You know, finding new things that I could fill that hole with that excited me and that made me uh, stretch myself in a way that was uncomfortable, but not unsafe. So instead Mm -hmm. of staying in that comfortable, like filling my void with my smoothie recipe, I got uncomfortable. Um, You know, driving up to the city to do voiceover acting was an uncomfortable thing, but it wasn't unsafe. It didn't cause me to like swing backward and relapse. Right. 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 I didn't I didn't immediately go on a date with the first person I met at speed dating. I got uncomfortable. I went to speed dating, but it wasn't unsafe for me because I was still in control of the situation. Um, same thing with the Tinder dates, even, you know, it was uncomfortable. Some of them were really uncomfortable, but <laughs> I never put myself in a situation where I was unsafe. Yeah. Uh, and by unsafe, I mean, making it possible for me to justify swinging backward and relapsing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And so for me, discovery, doing that discovery work, like building up my sense of self first before I met my boyfriend, like knowing that I mm. want to be a voiceover actor, knowing that I want to be a burlesque dancer, knowing that I am a pole competitor now. Uh, but at the time, just like I knew that I wanted to perform, um, you know, those were things that built up my sense of self, built uh-huh. me up a community of new people who were there to support me and who I wanted to support. And then I started dating and I was like, Hey, I have a sense of self. How are you? And he was like, I have a sense of self too. Can our sense of selves discuss? <laughs> and it was like, yes, I would love to communicate with your sense of self. Let's see how we can partner together. Yeah. And- I, I just, oh my gosh. I, I love that. Um, this is exactly what I teach with all my clients. Like we spend the first month or so when I, when I work with um, new women on building their sense of self, like figuring out what they want their life to look like. And, you know, they're expecting me like first, first session, like, let's go talk about your Tinder profile or (laughs) whatever. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like that comes later. Like, yeah. Like I love like, like your sense of selves talking to each other. It's like that Dr. Seuss quote about like how love is like two people being weird together. It's like just being yourself, no matter what that is. Um, I I just, I love that. I just love that so much. And, you know, I've, I've even I've said this to my boyfriend, um, but I, I say this, you know, to everyone, like what's really cool is that, you know, he doesn't complete me like mm, I yes. love him so much, but he doesn't complete me. He makes my sense of completeness better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like that Jerry Maguire scene. It's like it's you know, we all love it. It's a heart string pull, whatever. But it's like, don't let that run your your dating yeah. or your love life because you're just going to be very disappointed. You know, totally. Just, 
Well, I mean, if you're waiting for someone to complete you, it becomes this needy situation. Yes. Whereas if you already feel complete, your sense of completeness can complement each other and become fuller and become better. Yeah. And that's what I want in a relationship. And that's because I've set myself up in a set to be complete already. Mm -hmm. I can then seek that, you know? Um, and that's really what discovery is all about. It's about figuring out your sense of self and figuring out what completes you so that you can be a complete person when you do decide, if you do decide to seek a partner or partners, um, you know, who mm-hmm. can then make you again, uncomfortable, but not unsafe, who can help push yeah. you toward a new fullness, even if you are already complete. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And just for everyone listening, I'm going to, um, link in the show notes uh, to um, just a, a workshop I did recently about this, like how to build your oh, life cool. to create more um, completeness. So just a side note, just so everyone knows you can help head over to the show notes um, for that. Um, okay. So I want to, okay. I know you have to go in a couple of minutes. So, but I think sure. um, we have time. I just want to ask like, how did you decide like, Oh, I'm going to try pole dancing or burlesque <laughs> dancing. I'm just curious. I just have to ask, you know, it's like, Oh, cool. You do pole dancing. Okay, cool. It's like, no, it's like, it's just a different thing, you know, not, oh, absolutely. not something like, yeah, I started running. Like, Oh, I started pole dancing. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually went on a date to a burlesque show and it was life-changing because it wasn't just a bunch of like, you know, skinny, perfectly taught, bodies like Mm -hmm. on display for me to ogle at it was like it was women and men actually of every size just like fully owning their power on stage being like this is my body get used to it and it was like it was life-changing I was like oh my god I must be on stage with like that group of people I want to do that I want to own my power I want to take control of the gaze and like you know all the all that like I was Mm -hmm. like I'm gonna be a burlesque dancer so I live in the South Bay, which is not San Francisco. It's about an hour away. Okay. And all the burlesque classes were in San Francisco. I don't like driving and I don't like going to San Francisco if I don't have to. So I looked for burlesque classes in the South Bay and came up dry. However, there's one pole dance studio um, in uh, Campbell and I they had like a burlesque fitness class. And I was like, oh, OK, maybe that. Well, the burlesque fitness class kind of fizzled out, but uh, I decided while I was there, I'm like, eh, maybe I'll just take an intro to pole. Um, and I started taking uh, pole dance and sensual dance and sexy pole. And then it was like pole fitness. And then suddenly I'm there three days a week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was incredible. Um, awesome. Yeah. I loved it so so much that I just stayed and became a pole dancer instead um and then um through my boyfriend actually I met a group of girls who uh burlesque do burlesque in the city and they got me involved so now I do go up to San Francisco (laughs) um and now I'm a burlesque performer I perform like two times a month at least um I just competed in my first pole dance uh, amateur competition and got a gold medal which was pretty cool um but my goal is actually to help use dance um because i i use i don't just go on stage to strip like i go on stage to tell my story Hmm. um and so to use dance as kind of a way of journaling through some of the issues that i've experienced in my life and to help me better understand health at every size and internalized fat phobia and um you know all of my sexual hang-ups and everything and so i i kind of want to use that as a way to help instruct others to go through that same 
uh, experience. So that's kind of where I'm at. That's so cool. I love that. Um, such a cool story. I'm so excited uh, to be sharing <laughs> this with um, my audience. So before I let you go, can um, where can we find you on the internet? What's the yeah. best way? Oh, no problem. So I am at performingwoman.com because okay. I, uh, I believe that I am a drag queen trapped in a woman's body. I enjoy <laughs> performing the act of woman, and I am also a woman who performs. So performingwoman.com. Awesome. And we'll put that <laughs> uh, in the show notes as well for everyone. <laughs> yes. And then if you want to find me on any of the social media, it's all at Performing Woman. So okay. Facebook.com slash Performing Woman, Twitter.com slash Performing Woman, Instagram Performing Woman. Um, yeah. And I post tons of pictures of pole dance and burlesque. Um, I also have a podcast myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Finding Our Hunger. You can find it on all of your fine podcast uh, providers, um, iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera. Um, cool. Or you can just go to findingourhunger.com uh, where we I, I interview people on feminism, uh, health at every size, body positivity and eating disorder recovery. Awesome. Awesome. And then the last question before I let you go, what is your favorite way to treat yourself? Uh, these days, uh, it's honestly uh, burlesque. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, um, like it is to me getting, you know, first of all, because I do drag as part of my burlesque. So covering myself in like crazy makeup and and glitter and um, getting on stage and just owning my own power there's nothing, there's nothing better than that. Like three minutes and 30 seconds when you're on stage. Um, and it just, you know, my, my burlesque persona, DD queen is like the person I want to be <laughs> when I grow up, you know, like I look up to her. And so when I get to be her, it really just for me is, is, um, it's life changing every single time yeah. I get on stage. So oh, I love that. I love that. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so fun to chat with you and your insight is incredible. And I just love the um, recovery discovery part of your story. I've never heard that before. I mean, I I haven't had disordered eating, but uh, I just I've been in that world as a health coach. And so I just I've never heard that. And I just love, love that so much. And it ties so well into what I um, teach the women in my community to do. So I just really appreciate you taking the time to share that um, with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Date Yourself Radio. I love hearing from you. So please post your comments or questions at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. That's also the place you can sign up to receive free coaching with me in an upcoming episode or submit your question. And if you love this show, please share it and subscribe to it in iTunes. I would also be so grateful if you left a review since that helps me share the power of dating yourself with more women. You can find all my social media handles and sign up to be a part of my community at veronicagrant.com. Until next week, here's to treating yourself the way you want to be treated. Much love and happy dating. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.